0: Welcome to Radio TFS, episode number 10. Today we're talking about check-in policies. And I have with me our guests, Martin Woodward. Hey, Martin. Hey, Paul. How are you? Good, good. And with me is also Mickey Gousset. Mickey? Paul, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you guys doing today?
1: I'm doing quite well. Thank you.
0: All righty. Well, today we're going to start talking about the check-in policies and TFS. Before we get going on all of that, I just wanted to get caught up with the guys. It's been a while, and we apologize for not having a show recently. But again, we're all super busy doing some really cool stuff that's going to be coming down the pike. And I'll let uh, Martin talk a little bit more about that.
2: So we have been busy recording Radio TFS shows. You know, we haven't put any out yet. But we've been doing a Road to Rosario um, special so, um, soon we're going to be, um, Releasing podcasts that describe the new version of um, team system uh, that people are going to be talking about at, at the uh, PDC in uh, Los Angeles at the end of October. So we're going to we've recorded some interviews with um, all the different members of the team, and we're going to go through and take you through all the different parts of Rosario and uh, hopefully give you the lowdown. So uh, and there's been a, we've got a few exclusives as well to give you. So should be good. I hate I hate doing these, though, you know, recording shows in advance of when we broadcast them because now I know stuff that I'm not allowed to tell people and that I hate it. <laughs> I, I just can't, you know, I'm like, what, what am I allowed to tell people? It hurts. So, uh, yeah, apart from that, I, I did... um I was on... If yeah, anybody wants to listen to it, .NET Rocks. Probably if you listen to this show, you listen to .NET Rocks already. But, yeah, if you listen to .NET Rocks, I did a podcast with Brian Randall recently as well. And then, personally, I've been busy with... um. Uh, TeamPrize stuff. We've actually uh, just got um, if you you can run you know if you run a Java build with Team Foundation Server, um, which we support, and we've got some free extensions to Team Foundation Server which allow you to do you know run Java builds. And um, not only that, now not only does it run the Java build, it will also capture any JUnit tests that you've ran and feed that data back into TFS, you know, publish it into Team Foundation Server. Uh, so it appears in a data warehouse and all the quality reports and all that sort of stuff. So that's been quite a nice, neat little piece
0: of work. Very cool. Very cool. How about you, Mickey? How you been doing? I'm
1: fine. I am not going to PDC this year, which kind of sucks. But I've been busy both with the two of y'all recording radio TFS stuff. I'm debating whether to jump back into the writing arena. And then just work in general has been keeping me pretty busy. Plus, I write uh part-time article for the visual studio magazine website so as far as on the on the team foundation server front and on the visual studio team system front i've been keeping pretty busy
2: how's your great. team system rocks um revamp coming along mickey i know you said you were you were looking it, it, at that
1: i hit a slight snag i I planned to have it for the first of october i did not i am not making that deadline but i am now going to really buckle down and see if i can unveil it about the same time that pdc happens so cool We'll keep our fingers crossed.
2: How about you, Paul? You've been uh, busy, busy. We've been, you know, with work and things.
0: Uh, well, yeah, busy with work, of course. But um, I actually been doing a number of presentations. Uh, a client of ours has an internal tech ed event, and I just spoke at a couple of sessions there around the database edition and developer edition of TFS. Also. Uh, i 'm getting ready to speak this weekend on Rosario. We have a what we call the indie Tech fest, so anybody around the Indianapolis area that happens to hear this if it gets out um, before October fourth if not you missed it. but uh, we have what they call the indie tech fest and um, i 'll be speaking in two sessions at that, one on Rosario and the other one on test driven development with visual studio so i 'm getting ready for those uh, and Oh, the other thing which i don 't know that we talked about in the last user in the last um, podcast we did was uh we have now uh, fellow mvp dave mckinstry and i have started what we call the team system virtual user group in second life and we had our first meeting last month in september and it went off uh real well actually we had a great attendance for our first meeting in fact i think they told us it was the most number of uh people attending a, a virtual meeting for its first uh, for its kickoff event um we had the largest attendance of any meeting and at least on Microsoft Island. Uh, there's a URL for that, which is uh, tsug-ve.com, and that's the Team System User Group Virtual Edition. And uh, we ex- we encourage people to register, get involved. We're going to be talking about TFS extensibility at the next meeting in October.
1: Now, let me jump in here because I attended that, and I've, I've never really used Second Life. If you've done any kind of, of massive multiplayer online games, then you'll you're, you're kind of be used to the interface. But it really added a lot to it, rather than just going to a normal like live meeting webcast. We could, you could have done this thing with just a live meeting webcast, and they might go to your live meeting. But Second Life, the fact that you actually have these little avatars in front of you, and you can do things like clap and laugh, and it's, it really immersed you into feeling like you were actually at a user group. People stuck around afterwards and, and either voice chatted or text chatted. For people like me who are, aren't located near any user group, it really is a nice, way to start being able to connect with the community more so i really encourage you to come out to the next meeting
0: cool thanks mickey that's great um that's exactly what we're trying to do is hit those people that don't have the opportunity to get to a user group and encourage them to get into second life and show that second life is not just a game because it's really not a game you know um which is cool. And, and the last thing before we jump into our topic for today is one thing I'm real passionate about is always giving back to the community in some way, shape, or form. So what I found was that um, they had done this event in, in Dallas, Texas called We Are Microsoft, and it was wearemicrosoft.com. And it was basically uh, groups of development teams coming together and then developing a piece of software for a charity. And how it worked is you basically got together for a weekend and you've developed the software. And after 48 hours of nothing but hardcore hard coding and working and lots of Mountain Dew and Twinkies, you developed something, and you handed it over to the charity, and the charity got a piece of software for free, whether it be an access database or a website or whatever it was they needed. So we've brought that model to Indianapolis, and we're going to be doing our Indie Give Camp here. We call it Indie Give Camp, IndieGiveCamp.org. But they're doing these across America. So, if you're interested in indie give camps or you're interested, in, or I mean in a give camp in general, or you're interested in giving back to your community, um, please email me at um, uh, radioTFS Radio TFS TFS at gmail.com. Gmail. Yeah, use radioTFS at gmail.com and um, I'll get back to you and, and give you more information on doing a give camp in your community or let you know if you have one coming up in your community and how to get involved. Speaking so, of giving
2: um, to the community, Paul, we have that competition where you were uh, offering to give a, a Team Suite license away.
0: That's right. That's right. Exactly. And uh, I think that now would probably be a good time to pick a winner, don't you think, Martin?
2: Yeah, sure. So um just as a recap, the um the competition uh, was to answer a question that I posed back in the last episode, I think, was it? On oh, no, the one before that, episode Double number up. eight. Yeah, yeah. Basics of version control. So it was um it was to when if you want to delete the files locally um on your machine, then you right click on the folder and say um get specific version and then say change set one. And my question was why? Why does that work? And we had uh, quite a few uh, correct entries. So, Paul, as it's your competition, do you want to pick? Want to pick a number between uh, one and seventeen?
0: One and seventeen. I'm going to pick uh, sixteen.
2: Oh, okay. Ready? <laughs> I'm counting. Everybody, make a noise. <laughs> okay. You ready randy farmer randy farmer is randy
0: farmer yeah i know randy <laughs> well randy's out of atlanta georgia
2: you really know him
0: yeah i do <laughs> i know randy farmer yeah <laughs> that,
2: that,
1: was, that wasn't a setup by the way but this anyone. is not but i would like yeah, to point out that this, this is not God, set up or randy. rigged
2: no that's really bizarre i had no idea yeah, Gosh, that's yeah. great. Oh that just sounds that just sounds rigged now. We're gonna to have to change it. No, Randy Farmer is the winner. So uh, yeah, Randy, we'll um get Paul will get in contact with you as he seems to know you anyway, but we'll send the email out and uh and get your um an address so Paul can send that along. Uh, yeah. So the answer in case people are interested is um change set one actually gets created when you install team foundation server the first thing that it does is uh, it sets up the version control repository and then it checks in uh, the root of the repository dollar you know dollar slash um, and that is always change set one so if you do a get specific version on change set one then whatever you're getting doesn't exist and one of the neat things about Team Foundation Server is if things don't exist, it actually tidies up stuff for you on your local system. So it will delete it'll delete files off your local file system. So it deletes them all. And then if you were to do a get latest on that folder again, um, it would re-download them because it knows that you don't have uh, a version of that file locally yet.
0: So there you go. Awesome. Thanks, Martin. And thank you, everybody, for who, who entered um, and for listening to the show. And again, Randy, congratulations. We'll get that out to you uh, ASAP as soon as you return back to us uh, a mailing address. So um, well, I think that's it. I think it's time for us to jump into the portion of the show where we actually talk about our topic. And our topic today, again, is going to be check-in policies in Team Foundation Server. And I want to just start off by just describing what a check-in policy is and then let you folks you know, talk about what, how, how it actually works under the covers. So for those of you that may not be familiar with what a check-in policy is, Uh, A check-in policy is is, uh, something that gets run, a policy that gets run when you're checking code into the source control system within Team Foundation Server. So, for example, there's there's a check-in policy out in the box called work items. What what, what says that every time that I want to check code into the system, I want to associate it with a work item. I want this policy set up so that way then it will actually stop the check-in from occurring because it didn't uh, pass the policy validation process because somebody had not maybe selected a, a work item they wanted to associate this, this check-in with. Uh, so there's, um, it's a client-side validation. So if I want to take advantage of these check-in policies, I have to remember that uh, this validation is all happening client-side and all the clients that are using it. So every user has to have this check-in policy on their machine. And if they don't, they, they'll they get specific errors that let them know that, you know, they haven't installed that specific policy. But I'd like to just kind of throw it out there to, to, to the uh, my host today and then um, talk about how that whole inner workings of a check-in policy, you know, how it all works inside, under the covers.
2: It's probably a good one for me to jump in on that. Is that that's okay, Mickey? Go for it. Go for so, it, Martin. Um, the the reason why I can do this is because, as Paul say, the uh, check-in policies are completely implemented at the client level. Um, and having written a client the Team Foundation Server, you know, a Team Prize client that's in Java, uh, the first few versions of Team Prize actually didn't have any check-in policies. Because, um, as Paul said, this is a piece of .NET code that runs on your client before your client checks in the code. Uh, and if you want to, you know, if, if you fail the the policy validation, then you can override that. You know, you can say, okay, I'm going to check in anyway, and leave a comment as to why. You know, why you why you're going to override the check in policy. Uh, so in Teamprise, we had to, you know, had to figure out how all this is working. On the .NET side, um, you actually. As paul says it's a it's a class that's um, that runs on your client It has to be installed on your client. It has to exist a registry key um it's under team Foundation source control check-in policies um, You have to actually register that this check in policy exists. And then, to implement a check in policy in net you just have to um, you have to uh, you normally do it by um extending the policy base class so it's policy base is a class and you extend that um, and that implements i policy definition and i policy evaluation interfaces and all they're responsible for is it tells you know the visual studio um ui um if you can Edit the policy, you know, if it has settings, um, it gives a description and things like that. And then when it comes time to evaluate the policy, um, it calls an evaluate method and uh, passing in, you know, the items that you have that you've got available to you. Well, the items are available. You can then go through all, say, the pending changes and um, check to make sure that they, they match. However, it it's implemented. Probably more detail than anyone really wants to know, but anyway, uh, how it's actually implemented in Team Foundation Server is it, it serializes that .NET class that is the instance of your of your check-in policy, um, and it it serializes it, Base64 encodes it, and then stores it as an annotation at the team project level. So that's you know where team projects are, where check-in policies get applied. That's where that limitation comes from. Uh, and that's that's where they're stored as well, funnily enough. Now, um, this has some important implications, the fact that this actually happens. Uh, for settings in your checking policy, if you're developing one, for settings to get persisted so that, you know, you can save them between, uh, so you can save settings, you actually have to implement those um, those properties as serializable properties you know, so that when the class gets serialized, you know, the properties go with it. So that's one important thing to bear in mind. Also, it it, ha- it gives you some challenges um in terms of versioning and things like that, uh to make sure you've got the latest version of the classes and you know, it can be a bit of a pain. So yeah. So that's how checking policies are implemented under Hood. Team Prize does now have uh, checking check policies. We actually um provide a very similar interfaces but in Java that people can um, implement. Uh, and you write those um, and store them. One of the things that we built into ours, we ship more checking policies by default. So uh, uh, we'll go through the policies in a minute, but for instance, one we we ship by default is the uh, check for comments policy, um, just because we find everybody switched that one on. <coughs> Excuse me.
1: So not to, not to sidetrack, but so with TeamPrize... No, with team prize the the check in policies have to be written in java so if i've written my own custom check in policies in, in c sharp i've got to rewrite and recompile them to work with team prize
2: yes and that's if okay. you have written your own custom policy um, that's not one of the ones that we also ship like for instance check for comments uh, so far we've only had a few people that have actually bob you know gone to do that we'll talk about why you might want to do that a bit uh and that's because, as we say, it's stored as a bit of .NET code, you know, on the server that gets deserialized on the client and and ran on the client. So, uh, you know, there's some challenges in deserializing a .NET class in, you know, on a Mac box or on a, a HP UX or something like that. And another challenge is obviously that .NET class could do anything it wanted to do. It's a proper .NET class running in, you know, your user's process. So uh, it, could, it could do anything, you know. It could, it could format the C drive if it really wanted to. It It's not sandboxed at all, so you know, it could access Visual Studio and there's all sorts of APIs, so there, there was no way we could wrap it. We had to do our own separate implementation. Interestingly, when we store settings, we don't do this serialization of class business. We actually just uh, serialize settings as XML bit blobs, which makes versioning a lot easier. Um, and we also um, by default checking policies in Team Prize are scoped by the by path as well. So you can specify uh the files in version control that this check in policy applies to. It doesn't have to apply to every file in your team project. It could just apply to, you know, uh Team Project Trunk, for example, or team project branches one. Um, so cool. So let's talk about the, the check in policies that um that ship in the box. Shall we? I mean, uh, yeah. anyone got a favorite that they want, want to talk about?
1: So to be specific, right now we're going to talk about the ones that you get if you just directly install out of the box, no service packs, no power tools, anything like that, just directly out of the box.
0: Yeah, correct.
1: And my my number one that I always tell clients and everyone else to turn on is the work item tracking check-in policy. And the work item tracking check-in policy basically forces you to associate your check-in with a work item from the work item tracking system. The whole point of this being six months from now, when you go back and look at your code and wonder, why the heck did I make that change? You can look at the work items that are associated with that change so you know exactly why you made it. I think that is a great policy to use.
0: Yeah, the other one I like too is the code analysis check-in policy. Uh, A lot of people don't like to use that one, but there are some good, depending on what you're doing, Okay, so I was at an organization where they were doing development, uh, web development, that uh, could have very easily been subject to SQL injection attacks, for example. So they actually turned on the code analysis policy. So there's some in, in the security section of the policies, there's one that you can actually work with that flags uh, things like, um, a, like SQL injection attacks could occur. Uh, and it's something that you have to pay attention to. So, again, that's the other one that I really like in that um, I, I see um, people turn on a lot of times is the code analysis.
2: And then we have a couple of others, you know, like the, um, the testing policy. So that's the one where you, um, you know, it checks to see if unit tests have been run. A certain test list has already been ran. Um Personally, uh, I don't use... I don't use that one. I prefer to, um, which is a discussion we, why don't we just have this discussion now? Well, as we're talking about code analysis as well, it's the, um, when, when to implement something as a check-in policy versus, you know, when to do it on the build. For instance, testing policy, you know, I always make my builds run all the unit tests um, and do other stuff, you know, and if the, um, if the, if the tests fail as part of the build, then the build fails, you know, But I don't. I don't run. I don't have the check-in policy testing policy ran because I prefer to keep the number of check-in policies to a minimum on the client so that it's as easy as possible for a developer to check in. In organisations that I work with, it's often just a challenge just to you know get people to check in as regularly as possible.
1: Right, right.
2: You know, as opposed that's that's like the thing I'm trying to get them doing. And often the teams we work with are say. You know, what well, uh, the average team size is, you know, like five to, say, 20 people, you know, in, in a team. The organization's bigger, but individual development teams are about that big that run on something that builds. Um, and that, that, that scales very well for trying to keep things lean, I find. I think if you're a team the size of Microsoft, you know, it's got like 500 people checking in. One developer, you know, once a year, you'll check something in that breaks the build. If you've got 500 people developing, then, you know... The build's going to be broken twice a day, (laughs) which is which is I can understand why they would need you know why in that case you would need more things ran before you're allowed to actually check in.
0: Right, I think I think it all depends. In code analysis, for example, is a good one. You know, this you could very easily turn on and treat the warning as an error at compilation time before you even check in. So the client side you don't have to deal with the code analysis during check-in, but there's a lot of companies that say, no, we, we must pass the rigors of code analysis before we're going to allow any code to check in period. So I think it all comes down to what, what, what industry do you work in? How heavily are you, how, how heavily are you regulated? Maybe, um, again, what are the, what are the needs? So, uh, keeping it lean is the best way to go in my eyes. And I always try to start out with the work items, check-in policy and, and go from there, build on that. Um, but again, if load testing, for example, or some type of testing is very important to you long before it ever gets into the build, then maybe there's a reason why testing policy would be a good one to put into place. But I agree, Martin. You know, uh, I I I would never want to run unit tests during my check-ins. I mean, especially if I have 2,000 unit tests, for example, um, that would be utterly ridiculous, uh, I think, you know, to, to expect everybody to be running those tests during a check-in uh that's something that a build can catch but again it goes back to how often are you running a build you know are, are you running a build daily are you running continuous integration are you running a build weekly i work in a lot of organizations where they run they they don't even use automated builds let, let alone this is all new to them so well, getting tfs yeah. and getting automated builds is all new to them so, just trying to get them on that bandwagon is hard enough, and then, and then, like you say, to, to actually check in code on a timely basis. So, I think you have to take in all those factors and look at each one on a case by case basis and say, okay. Uh, but again, I agree with you. You know, we got to keep this thing as lean as possible to get developers to just check in and check out on a regular basis. I forget that people don't use continuous integration.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? Been doing right. it since like two thousand and two or whatever. You know,
1: there are a lot of people that don't.
2: Yeah, no. There
1: are a lot of there are a lot of people that don't even use any kind of automated build system.
2: Right. We need to we need to reach those people and and fix them. <laughs> and, show and, them and we and them. we are
0: slowly but surely. But it's it's not even so much. You can give them the tool. It's it's. I was having this discussion with a client the other day. We can bring in and give you and I can I can set up the tool for you. I can implement it. I can train you folks on all of this stuff. You know. But at the end of the day, if you don't use it. If you don't change the way you do things, you're, you don't have a culture change, it doesn't matter what we throw in front of you, you're not going to do it. And, and that's what it really comes, comes, comes down to is you can have someone up top mandating, we're going to do this, but if, they're not, if they don't implement it and truly follow through with it, uh, then really what good is the tool for them? You know, We can get it in front of them, we can talk all day long, but we all know that if, you, if, if there isn't a culture change, you're not going to do it.
2: Well, and that's one of the things, you know, it's to me to get things to work in an organization. um, It's all about making the easiest way to work be the way that you want people to work. You know, developers are a lot like water running down a hill. And I've had a a lot of experience with this lately because I've been digging a lot of ditches and things trying to get my lane fixed. (laughs) They want to get the job done. You know, they're not. Uh, you know, we've got people. We've got people shouting at them, getting things sorted. You just want to get the job done, and the quickest way to get something done, you want to make the way that you want people to work. You know, so and a, and a classic example is this: um, the work item checking policy. Switching that on because then it's just quicker for somebody to associate a change set with. Um, a work item and then you've got end-to-end requirements traceability it's a good thing another one that we switch on that doesn't you know that come actually comes in the power tools for team foundation server 2008 so is the change set comments policy so that is enforced that somebody provides a comment with the check-in uh, again, and we you know we like to say to people, hey, make sure you you comment as to why you are making the change, not necessarily what you're changing, because you can just look at history to see that it's why you are doing that change, so that when you come back in six months' time, you can easily look down the history and go, oh yeah, that that will have been when I made this change, you know, this sort of thing. I was so we uh, so were going round and round on different tangents, but the, the, the thing I was I was just saying there was. Um, just want to make it easy. And you, you can't have too many checking policies because then you know, the effect you'll start to get is people never check coding because they will wait four weeks before checking coding, which is a bad thing. So, you know, it's it's like everything, isn't it? In development projects is about striking a balance.
1: Now, Martin, you just mentioned that there's more policies in the Team Foundation Server Power Tools. I want to point out that, yes, you get several policies out of the box, but Microsoft went ahead and created some more policies that were – some that were policies that were people were asking for, some that they thought people wanted. And those are included for free in the Power Tools, which which is a free download. So if you go download the Team Foundation Power Tools, the July 2008 is the latest version. Then you'll get several new work item or check-in policies, one of which you mentioned was the comment policy. And then there's a couple of others as well. The one I find interesting is the work item query policy. Which allows you to specify, instead of specifying a specific work item that the check-in must belong to, you specify a query that the check-in that the the code must belong to.
2: So that's a a good example where um some I've seen people using that rather than just associating a check-in with any work item, they can say make this be from the check-in list of all but you know, from the work item query list of all bugs, and therefore you have to associate a check-in with a bug, for example, is is one way of using that one. Right. Just just to be clear as well, Mickey, that um, every single person who checks into that team project has to have these check-in policies installed from, you know, has to have the power tools installed to start using any of these at all?
1: Yes. And other thing I would do want to point out, which we've kind of alluded to but not specifically said too much, is that you can create your own. It's this is one of the extensible points of Team Foundation Server and Team System. You can write your own custom check-in policies to pretty much do whatever you want them to
2: do. So another, there's two ones I would quite like to mention in that um, in that you know in the power tools that come down the the custom path policy check-in policy. Do you use that one at all, Paul?
0: I haven't found anybody that really uses that one a lot. Uh, the big ones are the comments, the work items, the code analysis. Those are, and, and the work item query. Those are those are the ones that I find people using all the time. Okay. Do you have people that are using the custom path one? Do you guys use it well, at team for team prize? I mean, we
2: kind of. We, we built in the functionality which this policy provides you as part of our check-in policy implementation. So uh, the custom path policy is a check-in policy which wraps other check-in policies. It's a slightly weird one. And the way it works is you can specify, you know, uh, this, the check-in policies only apply to, say, dollar uh, my team project trunk. So these check-in policies only apply to trunk. Um, or so on and so forth, and we have found we had did have customers that were asking for that, which is why we just baked it into the basic check-in policy implementation. Another one that um, like, to me like shows me how advanced Microsoft's thinking is on continuous integration with Team Build um, is the builds check-in policy. This basically is one where um, if the build is broke, so for you you know for the things that you're checking in if that affects a build definition that's a continuous integration build definition and the last one wasn't successful, then it'll actually flag up and say, Hey, the build's not working. You know, are you sure you want to check in? And that's when you could override and said, yes, I do need to, I do need to check in because I need to fix that build. Cause I'm, I'm the, I'm the idiot that broke it. Um, but it's quite a good <laughs> checking policy because it, We've, you know, I've worked with organisations where they've had a lot of policies where the build breaks um, on the server, and then, you know, this is t- tends to be when you're introducing continuous integration into a company. The build will break on the server. Somebody, you know, then checks in another bit of code on top of that broken build, and then, you know, it gets more broke, and then eventually the build's just not working. And trying to get it back working again takes a lot of work because you've got to untangle some things whereas with this policy implemented actually to check in on top of the broken build requires you know somebody say you know to take a positive yes i know the build's broke but i still want to check in step and then that just encourages the whole one of the things that makes continuous integration work is that whole um, peer you know, peer pressure type thing. And so when you've broke the build, everyone now can see you've broke the build. People people get alerts when they try and check in because you broke the build. So you get the build fixed as quickly as you can so that you're back to a fully working system, you know, every time. Right. I have to give some props to uh, one of my friends who actually was behind that policy getting implemented. A guy called Clark Sell who works with the TFS Rangers. Um, he um, he wrote a version of that for two thousand and five, and then you know the idea got incorporated into uh, into two thousand and eight. So into the into the product in two thousand eight. So uh, yeah, if I don't give him credit, I know he listens to the show, and he'll be cursing me if I don't give him credit for it. <laughs>
0: The one thing I wanted to talk about, and, and you kind of mentioned this, Martin, when you were talking, was the 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 uh, notification. People who have worked with the policies know that you can override policies. And it's not something where it's an oops, I made a mistake. It's oops, I knew what I was doing and I overrode it anyway. Uh, but I get a lot of questions, so I'm going to throw this question out because I, I get this question all the time. Is there a way to hide the... uh the check-in policy override window uh, programmatically or any other way, so that we don't have to see it. To, it doesn't give the users the option to override; therefore, they have to meet the policy. And I'll just throw that out there for you guys to answer. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: the short answer: no, it's built into the design, um, as far as I'm aware. That you, that you, um, you know, that it provides an override if the if the policy. Um, is not satisfied or there was an error while running the policy for example the policy doesn't exist on your machine uh, then it'll bring up the override dialogue and that that's how you how you check stuff in i think the team realized you know but yeah i can see why people would want it to do that especially in a highly controlled sure. environment and um, i think where the team were coming from was that it's you know getting work done is better what you want to do is if you in the override you know, comment checking policy overrides can be reported on in the warehouse, um, and and can easily be detected. And so, people, you know, if if that's something that you need to address in your organisation, then you want a procedure in place for um, evaluating checking policy overrides and and saying if you know if they were valid or not.
0: Right, because that goes to the second question I had, which I get, again, from a lot of customers, and so I'm asking it from like a customer perspective is, okay, yeah, that's great. Okay, I can't override it, I, so people are – I can't override the override notice, so people are going to override my policies. How do I – how am I going to know that they're overriding my policies? How can I take action on this? What, what mechanism is there in place for me to be able to act quickly because I really need my guys to be following these policies or gals to be following these policies? Uh, what can I do in that case? Um,
2: so you can report on it, Paul. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure you can do um, an email alert, a, a project alert, as well. If somebody checks something in with um, uh, with an override, is that right? I mean, can you do that?
0: Yes, you can. You could you can actually do an alert, um, a custom alert. And again, we could probably save that topic for another show. But um, there's the alerting mechanism we can take advantage of in TFS to to send an email alert to somebody immediately. If it's one of those policies that I have to know now, somebody's overriding it. Fantastic. So, and with that, I think we are getting towards the end of our show, and I just want to see if there's any other comments or questions out there from the from the panel on on the check-in policies. Mickey, Martin, anything else to add?
2: I think we've covered it pretty well i just want to say um, you know don't go crazy with your check in policies don't every with every bit of power comes responsibility so don't don't go switching them all on because you'll find people just won't check in uh, you know use them Have make yourself um, justify every single check in policy that you implement because it's going it's going to live for a long time after you've switched it on and
0: and I got one more thing before we go what um what is the status of the user's permission level? What's the, what permissions do they have to have if they want to do checking on these policies because that's a good point Martin. We don't want everybody just going in and ch- turning on a bunch of policies. Do they have to be admins or do they Yeah, have they be- have to
2: be a team team project admin to be able to switch on a new checking policy.
0: Okay. Okay. So that that helps limit the number of people. But again, yeah, not going crazy is probably a good idea. Um, yep. Well, I want to thank my panel today. I got uh, Mickey and Martin and myself, Paul, um, for, for this show. And again, congratulations to Randy Farmer. Uh, we'll be getting an email out to you. And um, we'd like to thank everybody. If you have any comments or suggestions uh, for a show, we'd really love to hear what you think about us and really want to hear what topics you want to hear about. Please email us at radiotfs at gmail.com. Again, that's radiotFs at gmail dot com. And uh, that's it for today. Thanks for listening.